The following programme is made possible by the friends and partners of Creation Today. God apparently couldn't pass a grade school science class. There's no scientific evidence to support a global flood. Evolution has resulted in the countless species that have lived on Earth. Great landmarks are the work of millions of years of slow, imperceptible erosion. Either way, you don't need God, so here we are in our bubble of just us, trying to figure out what's right and wrong. They're all denying the worldwide flood. They have no idea they are fulfilling prophecy as we speak. Hey, how's it going? Dennis, what's happening? Second Peter 3. Yeah, all three. No creation, no flood, no coming judgment, just like it says. I think everyone is surprised at how fast it's happening. It's not like we haven't had 2,000 years to prep for this. Eric, I think it's time for Operation Wisconsin Dells. Who you got in mind? <laughs> Just leave that one to me. Uh, well, you always do the best. I'll see you there. Hey guys, welcome to Operation Wisconsin Dells. We've gathered you here for a very specific reason. I want to introduce you to some of your team leaders. We've got Jay Siegert, PowerPoint and presentation extraordinaire. We want you guys to be able to give powerful presentations about what you learn. We got Tim and Tim, little Tim, big Tim. We'll go with tiny Tim, just for sake of uh, not getting them confused, all right? Tim is a local geologist, gonna really help you understand the geology that you're seeing. Big Tim is going to help us out with theology, making sure that what you learn about the flood and the, the prophecy that's spoken of is really well understood by you so that you can take this to the world. We've got Dennis Seiler, team captain. He's the one who's heading up this operation, making sure that we take this not only for ourselves, but send it out to the world. And then we've got Mr. Rockman himself, Dr. Steve Austin. Thank you guys for joining us. They're going to be taking us, showing us things that you need to take out to the world. You guys are all familiar with the prophecy. In the last days, people are gonna willingly ignorant of a couple things. What are they? Creation, what else? The flood, what else? The coming judgment of God. Guys, you look around today and it is crazy out there. People willingly ignorant of the creation, the flood and the coming judgment of God. These rocks around us are crying out and these men are going to tell you exactly what they're saying. It's powerful evidence of a worldwide flood. We've come to the middle of Wisconsin for a reason. We've been to Mount St. Helens. We've been to the Grand Canyon. It's time to come to the heart of America and help people realize that even in Wisconsin, there's incredible evidence of the worldwide flood. We wanted to be able to pack a punch so big that nobody could punch back. We wanted to come to a place that it's like impossible to see evidence of a worldwide flood. And yet right in the middle of the Wisconsin Dells, we see powerful evidence of the global flood. That's what we're accomplishing here today. This training is gonna be pretty intense. You're gonna have several teaching times. We're gonna take you on several hikes that are gonna be difficult. I need you guys to persevere. I need you guys to make it through. And by the time we're done, I need you to take it to the world. That's our job on this mission. You guys in? Yeah! That's what we need.
Mother Nature gave us a good science experiment on this one. This used to be 60 acres of pristine lake with a beachfront view. Now it's a mere 20 acres of water that nobody wants to go in. Why? <laughs> Catastrophic dam failure. Check it out. That right there used to be the spillway where the Jersey Valley Lake would spill over. Back in 2018, we got so much rain up here, water was going over that spillway by more than eight feet. It was never designed to handle something like that. Wash this entire thing out in less than 12 hours. Let's go down and take a look. Look at that. Thousands of cubic yards of sediment removed in just a couple hours. See, when a dam breaks catastrophically, it makes a catastrophic cycle where it erodes a little bit from the top and that gives a whole lot more water because of the new elevation of the, of the stopping point. A whole lot more water is now capable of going over that dam. And the more water going over the dam, the more it's gonna erode it away, lowering the level that's, uh, that's, uh, that is stopping the water. So that, that cyclical catastrophic cycle is what allowed this entire lake to drain eroding directly into the, the sandstone. This is Cambrian rock. Notice how it's all stratified. It's, it's laid out in layers and you can literally pick the layers up off the other layers. This is an indication that all of this sediment was formed in moving water. It's called sedimentary. 700 feet below us is where we get the great unconformity, where the bedrock meets uh, the Cambrian rock. In that little meeting point, we're missing somewhere around a half a billion to a full billion years in geologic time. You can see why the secularists don't like talking about the great unconformity, but it's a site that we need to see, we need to get close up on. I say we take our evidence of what water can do from this location and go check out the great unconformity. Here it is, number two, Elephant Rock. All right guys, we gotta head up to Elephant Rock and meet Jay. We're gonna go over a little bit about what we see there before Steve brings the group up to teach everybody. Here's where we're gonna see the great unconformity, an absolute death blow to the secular worldview. Make sure you're in shape when you go on this hike. It's a doozy. Ah, oh, there she is. Oh, the great unconformity. How you doing, bud? No, not you, man. Wow, what do we got here? We're in an amazing location. You're in my home state of Wisconsin. We're at Devil's Lake. And we certainly know that the Bible talks about a worldwide flood, Genesis 6 through 8. That's what we're giving them evidence for. Is there any evidence? There's a lot of evidence, and this is a really cool spot. In the middle of Wisconsin. That in still blows my mind. Who knew it would be here? Uh, I just had this built recently. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> uh, we're looking at a big slab rock here, and then there's something a little bit different above. Looks kind of boring, but it's interesting, and here is why. Some process occurred to build this rock down here but there's something different up here. The rock above it is different. That's what we call an unconformity. The process changed between these two things. So what's going on? This is actually called Baraboo Quartzite, made from sand. It's metamorphized to create the Baraboo Quartzite here. And then above it, we got a straight line going across where this rock was actually sheared off, powerful force, and then something else started happening to lay down the rest of the layers. What do we have above us? We have 
chunks of the bearable yeah. quartzite that were broken up. They're sitting here, big boulders. And then we have something in between called uh, Jordan sandstone. So what really happened here is this original creation rock, part of the original creation hardened. Then when the flood came along, it came right through here and ripped up this layer, sheared it off like a crew cut. And then sedimentary layers started to form after that with the broken up quartzite, you know, bareboo quartzite and the Jordan sandstone. This is not only called an unconformity, but they call it the great unconformity because we see this kind of thing all over the planet, wow. including the bottom of the Grand Canyon, which you'd have to hike one mile down, about six hours to get down there to see this. But we can stand right here in Wisconsin and see the same thing where the flood came through and catastrophically ripped this up and started laying down the first layers of the flood. Bottom of the Grand Canyon, Tapete Sandstone, Bright Angel Shale, and Muav Limestone. We have the sandstone here and the shale and the limestone above this too, just like at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And we're a couple thousand miles away. Well, yes. a little over 1,500 miles away. Yes. Guys, it's really important that you get this concept. We're going to have to teach the whole group this because we want everybody packing a punch with the unconformity, the great unconformity here. Uh, they're not going to come back from this. This is powerful evidence of a global flood. Global flood, one of the most powerful evidences right here in Wisconsin and in the Grand Canyon and all over the planet. Okay, the, the Great Unconformity is fascinating. You gotta wonder, with, with thousands of people walking by here every single day, do you think they have any idea what they're looking at? If they stopped and just examined it, would they realize what it means? So Ryan and Rachel, I got you here uh, right above Devil's Lake, looking at two separate layers of rock, and I'm wondering if you have any idea the significance of what's going on here. What do you think, Ryan? Any idea? So there's, in my mind, two clear, distinct types of rock. Okay. This here potentially looks like some sort of sedimentary rock um, because I'm seeing that it's larger rocks that have been pushed together by pressure. So likely at some point in the Earth's history, you had sedimentary rocks that were under the ground and got pushed up. This. I have two other choices, igneous or metamorphic. Okay. It's not formed by lava, so I have to assume it's metamorphic. So it's formed by heat and pressure. Okay. So we have rocks here that are formed by their amalgamation of other rocks that have been pushed together. And then the rock below it, maybe I mess it up, formed by heat and pressure and amalgamation of rocks that have been pushed together. So the significance likely comes from their position to each other. You have two distinct rock formations so close. How they got there, I don't know. We have a name for this and it's called unconformity. Unconformity, right? How easy is it to see the great unconformity in Grand Canyon? You've got to take uh, what uh, a seven-day raft trip minimum, okay, or hike a mile below the rim of the canyon vertically on a ten-mile trail to get down to the Great Unconformity. When I see big boulders in sandy beds, what's the biggest boulder we're seeing here? Four feet diameter, and when I see boulders and fine sand, uh, that warms my heart because. That is pretty powerful, what's going on up there, right? Have you ever tried to move a four foot diameter boulder? Yes. Not, not easy, right? They weigh a ton or two. I'm looking for powerful agents. And when I see boulders four feet in diameter, uh, that's, that's wonderful. If it, if it could talk, what would it tell? What kind of story would it tell? Okay, it's an erosion surface. Uh, within this, the rock record, and that's called an unconformity. And because of the extent of the unconformity in southern Wisconsin, it's called the basal unconformity of the sock sequence. That's the, t if, I, if I was talking to a geologist, I'd say that. Now that uh, causes warmth to my heart because that this uh, unconformity goes down into Illinois uh, in Missouri, Lamont, Regan, uh, Sandstone, other 
things outside the Sauk area here in Sauk County, Wisconsin. And you, as you go down there, you'll discover that uh, th those have a similar thing. They, they have an unconformity underneath. And so it's a widespread unconformity here in Wisconsin, down there in Illinois, and then over there in Missouri. And uh, then you go into Iowa, uh, down toward Oklahoma, it's buried, but it comes back up to the surface right near Colorado Springs, Colorado. It comes up to the surface and in Manitou Springs, Colorado on uh, Mountain Creek, I've seen the almost identical thing. It's there, it's boulders, big boulders, granite boulders sitting with uh, unconformity on granite granite rock here it's quartzite rock so whatever the the uh, the, the rock type underneath it's kind of constant to see that that uh, that surface the, the erosion surface and then the uh, conglomerate oh yeah conglomerate okay but they're not perfectly rounded they didn't sit on a beach and uh, uh erode for a million years or something like that it's very uh very uh, interesting there. Imagine a slurry of boulders moving at maybe five meters per second. Okay, it, it's 50% sand and boulders and 50% water. A slurry, a gravity slurry of something like that flowing along of a bottom of a, of a very uh, catastrophic advancing ocean, a flood on the earth that's the kind of thing we see here so i think this is the beginning of the flood right here i am giving your geology teacher yeah. a raise ryan yeah, thank so you. far i'm very impressed with what you're observing right this is called the great unconformity okay it's a layer that is across the united states right here we have rock that is not layered right it is completely there's no stratification taking mm -hmm. place above it we have a conglomerate where pieces of this have been sheared off and rolled into uh, into a type of sandstone. Gotcha. And then after going through that, once you get above the conglomerate, all of a sudden now we have layeration mm -hmm. above it. So now it's all layers above that. Now, if this crazy unconformity where rock has been completely sheared off that has no layers, and after that we find a conglomerate and then layers mm -hmm. exist, not just across the United States, but literally around the world. Right. What does that mean? Oh boy, now I know the answer to that. Do you really? But here I am and I don't know the answer to it. Oh. It's telling us that at one point in the Earth's history, they were all connected. So it sounds to me like that would be evidence for continental drift. That okay. at one point all of the continents were together, they had, if they're all over the world, they experienced the same thing at the same time and then separated. So we can see matching patterns across the continents. That's a great analogy. That's a great right? point, and that's true. That's okay. true. But that's not it. That's not the only it thing. Isn't. That is one point. Right. But that's not the main point. Okay. What is the main point? You want me to just tell you? I do. Yeah. All right. We see a shearing of rock right here called the Great Unconformity all right. over, which means it seems as though there really was a flood mm -hmm. that covered the entire globe. Okay. Where do we read about that? I don't know. You've never heard the story of a flood that covered the whole globe? I have, yes. Okay, so where do we read about that? In the Bible, the New Testament. All so is Testament, it possible sorry. that thousands of people will walk right by here and they're looking and have no idea that they're actually looking at one of the best evidences and there's very few places you can get to it this easy. Mm -hmm. You can get to it in California at the bottom of Grand Canyon on a seven day raft trip, you can get to it. This is a super easy place to find this great unconformity mm -hmm. and it's incredible evidence that the entire globe really was flooded just like the Bible says. What do you think about that? Now, in order to understand the big picture, we have to recognize that the flood triggered an ice age. You can't have an ice age without warm oceans, 
which the flood would create as the fountains of the deep break open and the cooler land surfaces allow the snow and ice to accumulate. The evidence for an ice age triggered by the flood is found in terminal moraines. As glaciers advance, they push debris in front like a bulldozer. And when the glacier stops advancing, the material or talus that's been collected is called a moraine. So a terminal moraine is the final advancement of a glacier. We find a massive terminal moraine on the Johnstown Ridge. We came here to find a place where we could see and directly interact with the glacial till uh, that comprises the um, Johnstown Moraine. This hump of earth right here is the Johnstown Moraine. A lot of this stuff is transported. Uh, the Keweenawan Peninsula Copper Nuggets definitely over 300 miles of transport. But the lithologies are various, granites and schists and and uh, it's pretty exciting to see all that stuff just collected here. But as for the moraine, the terminal moraine is at the end of the glacier. So this is the westward advance. It hits this quartzite prominence and bends around it. And it plugs the Devil's Lake Gorge on the north and it plugs it on the south. But the, the prominent quartzite structure here, we're at about 1400 feet stops the ice advance and the the moraine wraps around this elevated structure so we find lake deposits on top of a hill because this hill was encompassed by a ridge of dirt and the ice behind it the dirt bulldozed into place partially and partially collecting the the things falling out of the ice and uh forming this ring, this dam, that, that, and the meltwater's filling in. That's why we're here today, the Johnstown Moraine. What do you think about that? I think there's better evidence for other answers. Okay. How are you going to answer this? Because it's called the Great Unconformity. Right. There's a missing one half to one billion years of strata right there mm -hmm. that's supposed to be there. bunch of geologists started coming by here and started talking about this rock how cool it is because they see a quartzite mountain that's kind of circular or elliptical mountain a big canoe structure i've got a guidebook here and you can see the canoe structure you can wrinkle it up and make a canoe out of it and we're on the north side of the canoe over here on this side and down over there to the uh, south is the bottom of the canoe and then the other side of the canoe is about five miles south of us and uh, that is the baraboo syncline baraboo syncline that's what it's called and we're we're right here on the uh, north side of the baraboo syncline and as we look at the syncline what do we see we see vertical strata okay or vertical layers that have been heaved up what do you need to make the canoe structure. You need north-south compression, right? North-south compression wrinkled up the layers, uh, the horizontal layers into vertical, near vertical layers here and made the canoe structure 25 or 30 miles long, five miles north-south. So it's a real big thing. Now it's doubly plunging uh, on the east. It, it plunges down and on the west it plunges down toward the center of the canoe so it is really like a canoe that's the way to think about it and in building the canoe the original strata were buckled to make this uh, uh, amazing structure and so when geologists saw this back 100 years ago they started thinking oh i've seen that kind of thing elsewhere and uh, this became kind of the, the springboard for talking about foliation and so foliation was defined 
here at this holy place and export it elsewhere. We had to bring you guys right here to Abelman's Gorge because we're over a half a mile away from where we were at the Van Heis Rock. And here we see continuous vertical layering. I mean, a half mile away and we're still seeing vertical strata. Over a mile of strata has been uplifted. This is evidence of incredible catastrophic events because there's no way a uniformitarianum slow gradual process could make sense of the vertical beds that we're seeing here today. Not only that, you see the ripple marks in it indicating this was laid down in water and it's layer after layer after layer indicating something, something happened here, laid this down by water and then it was lifted up in a vertical position. And this is happening for miles. This isn't possible in the uniformitarianism geology that has been presented to the world today. It's only possible with a massive catastrophic event. Not only that, as these vertical columns go up, as the, the vertical layers go up, they're then sheared off at the top. And on top, we find a brand new set of horizontal layers of sandstone, indicating a massive amount of water came through here, sheared them off, and redeposited sandstone. We're not talking a local event here. This is evidence of a worldwide flood. And there's a lot of potential answers for that. We have a lot of geological activity that could explain those sorts of things. We didn't understand continental drift till the 40s or the 50s. Uh, so having a separation of layers like that is really cool and it answers us really cool questions about Earth's processes that we understand. I'm a scientist and as a scientist, I can answer questions about the physical things that we can see. Right. I look at these physical processes that we see and they answer really cool questions about the formation of the earth and potentially continental drift. And those things are really cool. And what I find is also really cool in a place here, far from any sort of tectonic activity or plate boundaries, that's really fascinating. Is it a flood? I don't know. guys, it's really great to be here in the narrows of the Dells. This is the very tip of the canoe of the syncline. It's kind of just a neat culmination where we see the uplifting of the Bariba Quartzite. Because up in the top of the hills here, we have the very lifting up of the rock again, where we see a vertical uplifting of a lake bed. It's an amazing thing of the power of God to lift this very thick platform of Baraboo Quartzite that was down as much as 5,000 feet to be lifted up and exposed in this area. What a great place it is to see God's power. We've seen many other displays of the power of God at the Great Unconformity where we see flood basement rock and right on top of it laid horizontal layers of Cambrium sandstone. Just a really neat place to see in the Baraboo area of all of the power of God. And then in this valley, or in this little section, we also get to see the beauty as well. So when we see the, the vertical ripples of a lake bed, to see them vertical, to realize that they were laying horizontal one time at the very base of a lake. And then they were metamorphized, they were heated up and lifted up. And as they lifted up, the power of God to lift up thousands of feet of thickness of quartzite and in some of the layers, actually the, ver the layers of a lake bed that were lifted up. It's an amazing thing that is rare to see anywhere in the world. And you can see it right here in the Narrows at the Wisconsin Dells. Do you find it interesting that this concept of a flood was written somewhere around 4,000 years ago mm -hmm. and it matches science that we're just now discovering? No. You don't, say, you don't think that people that claim the Bible's not true, that they had no idea what they're talking about, mm -hmm. and yet they gave an idea of a global flood. Right. And scientists went, there's no evidence back in the 1800s, 
And now the more we look around, we see evidence of a global disaster. Well, because at that time, global wasn't global. Global was the Middle East where the Bible was written. So when they say global flood to them, it was a flood in their local region because they didn't understand that they were part of a much larger system. You mean from the, if you read the Bible, that's what they that's what it teaches? Well, no, that that's what the people who wrote the Bible were writing about. Yeah, no, they definitely understood. They had language that would explain the whole world. They had language that explained all flesh on earth, not just local to them. So they definitely understood what they, so what they meant what, when they were saying that. What you're saying is that the concept of a much larger world outside those bounds was developed then? Yeah, people, people, I think we assume that they were pretty ignorant. I don't think they were very ignorant, uh, especially when you consider they were living to be several hundred years old. Mm -hmm. uh, they were living to be a lot older, a lot smarter. Uh, they had they had technology. They had, you know, iron. They had brass. They had lots of, uh, they didn't have cell phones, but mm -hmm. they had lots of advanced technology that we don't think of today. I would... I would encourage you to read up on scientific development and, and really understand how our understanding of the world takes shape, comes together, because we didn't understand concepts of, we literally thought the world was flat until we started looking at the stars and doing math and under, uncovering these sorts of things. So to say that we have so to understand that something written is written in the context of the author. Um, and the context of that author was a local region with limited, limited knowledge and limited science. And how did they talk about the circle of the earth? And how did they talk about these things? There are so many things, the paths in the sea, that there are so many things that they talked about in the Bible that, that from thousands of years ago, the scientists didn't discover till 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 years later. Sounds to me like they were actually way more advanced than we give them credit for. No. Okay, we're uh, we're at this uh, Cambrian sandstone outcrop in Parfreeze Glen in uh, southern Wisconsin, and we're looking at the characteristics of the sandstone, trying to understand how the sand and the cobbles and boulders were deposited together in this uh, very unusual canyon. What I see right here are these uh, quartzite class big uh, cobbles uh, that are supported by sandy matrix. It's, it's matrix supported, not class supported. In other words, the individual large rock fragments are not sitting in contact. That means that this froze very abruptly and it uh, created this unusual texture. We call it pudding stone, which is a good, good way to say it but it's a pudding stone texture and we see it throughout the canyon here at sees see the pudding stone texture and uh, in between we see the sandstone layers up here we have another pudding stone and we even get larger boulders in here in places four foot diameter boulders up here and again they're matrix supported not class supported and they're rather angular and sometimes uh, tipped up at angles indicating they froze rapidly and so individual sandstone beds with these cobble layers in between argue for rapid deposition matter of minutes not millions of years so as we're studying this uh, outcrop we uh, we're becoming catastrophists in our way of thinking about the process of sedimentation and this really shows it well and i love thinking about mud flow here. Mud flows depositing all of this, uh, these cobbles and sand very rapidly. Let's talk about the strata we see. Do you see stratification? Yes. Especially where the texture changes. The composition, texture, and structure of what we're looking at you can put words on it, uh, you're, uh, 
you're getting to be a geologist. The lower strata appear to be sandstone, the lowest strata right at creek level here. Then, as you're coming up, you notice maybe three or four feet of sandy, and then it becomes coarse. And what are those? We call them cobbles. The sedimentary objects are called cobbles. And the cobbles are in that one layer. And, and as you look at the texture of the layer, you also want to look for sorting. What sizes are in those layers as you're going up? Are they well sorted or poorly sorted? And then how are they structured, layered on top of each other? As we go up, what happens? We're seeing a coarsening upward sequence. I see a lot of sand at the bottom, and boy, I'm seeing some big boulders up there near the top. Looks like uh, the process is, first it's laying down cobbles, then it becomes boulders. When we see the, the texture, of all kinds of cobbles that are floating in a sand matrix, we have a name for that kind of rock. Pudding stone. A, a pudding stone is a conglomerate which has plums in it that are floating in the, uh, the pudding along with it. And when you see that kind of texture, it, um, uh, it's very distinctive. So you look for pudding stone texture and then you see what happens, it goes back to sand, and then it, more, more little cobble and pebble layers, and then it goes up into a coarsening upward sequence. And, and then halfway up the cliff, we're seeing some pretty good sized boulders in there. Now, you might think that those boulders were deposited by the creek in former time, but as we keep looking, we'll find out that those boulders are embedded in the sand matrix. And when you have boulders suspended in, uh, in a sandy matrix, you don't call that pudding stone anymore. What do we call it? Uh, mega breccia, some people use that word. There's angular fragments up there and they're suspended in, in matrix. And then the top of the cliff is sandy, isn't it? Uh, when we're coming up here, uh, one of the ladies asked how do ripple marks get buried in the quartzite? The answer is they get buried in the quartzite from fluctuating current velocity. That's the, uh, that's the take home. You want to talk about that. You want to know something about history. Uh, there was a man who in the 1940s was at St. Anthony Falls Lab and he was watching the flume form sandy layers through a, layer, through a wall of glass. And he convinced himself that sand was deposited rapidly. He, he saw it form at, you know, millimeters per second, that kind of thing, faster than that. You know who that man was? Dr. Henry Morris. And he had a vision for that flume, how it could make this kind of thing here. And when he saw this, he convinced himself mentally that he could engineer uh, the process that makes this. Uh, Henry Morris discipled me, okay? And then I've discipled other people and uh, they're, they're now graduating from the universities. The bedding layers, the flat beds and the ripple beds can be formed rapidly, but we're looking at something really uh, interesting here. When we see the cobble layers with the sand in between, but if that was deposited, deposited slowly, what would happen? The large rocks would settle and the fine sand would float and the cobbles would be what? they'd be stacked and they'd be touching each other. They'd be class supported. They'd be class supported and they're, they're sitting here. So when you see pebbles and cobbles standing um, with sand in between, not segregated out into layers, what does that signal? Uh, fast moving, okay, because to move cobbles, you gotta move it. Even more importantly, fast freezing. It's got to freeze fast before those large rock fragments can fall. 
this uh, warms my heart. Okay, when I, when I see this kind of thing, because it looks like mud flows, looks like slurry. You know what slurry is? Concrete slurry, that kind of thing. That's what we're looking at. We're looking at slurry flow process. And the, before the, the cobbles could touch each other, there was so much sand in between, it froze. So that argues that it's 50% sediment, 50% water. So pudding stone is a mud flow uh, deposit. A flood on the earth. Have you studied the Bible that much? I have, okay. yes. I was in church my entire life. My dad is a theologian with a master's degree working on his PhD. I have talked about the Bible ad nauseum. I love it. Yes. But you don't accept it? No, it's not that I don't accept it. Oh, okay. It's that I take the physical processes that I can witness and that I can study. And that is what I decide to... Hold on to. Mm, reality is based on perspective. So that is my reality. So your reality this is this is not evidence for a flood. This is some kind of tectonic plate movement, even though it could also be evidence for a flood. It just depends on how we see it. I don't think it could be evidence for a flood. Um, we see some really cool evidence of glaciation and floods here in North America, but that kind of power to have that kind of effect, especially at a global scale, takes thousands upon thousands of years. Or a massive flood. To move rock like that, no. Our next stop is to meet Tim up at Devil's Doorway. He said he's got something really good for us up there. It's quite a hike, but uh, I think it's gonna be fun. Let's head up there and see, how, see what Tim has to say. All right, so we're gonna take Potholes Trail up to Devil's Doorway. This should be a really steep climb and a lot of fun. Look at this, man. Yeah. What a place to teach. Tim, this is incredible. And it's awesome. Anybody know what this is called? Devil's Doorway. This is Devil's Doorway, and we are at Devil's Lake State Park in Wisconsin. Okay, and it's unfortunate that a place like this, it's such a showcase of God's beauty and his creative power, gets associated with Satan, with the yeah. devil. It's with uh, the first rebel. And you know what? We've all we've all rebelled against God in, in our own way. We've all sinned against him. We all deserve his judgment. And yet, what did God do? He came, became a man. Yeah, he, he sacrificed became himself. One of us sent his son, Jesus Christ. He became one of us. He went to the cross and died for us, in our place on the cross, so that we can be forgiven, that we can dwell eternally with him. You know, we should be using places like this that showcase his beauty, his creative power. We should be using places like this to point people to the creator. That's what this week of camp has been about. Yeah. That's what uh, this Operation Wisconsin yeah. has been about. And we want to be able to use the things that we see in creation to point to the creator. And Devil Doorway just another wonderful opportunity to do that. Well, guys, we brought you on Operation Wisconsin Dells to give you the science, like Tim said, that supports the theology. You've seen the evidence of the global flood so that you can sound the alarm and remind people of the prophecy that's being fulfilled as we speak. People are willingly ignorant of the creation, the flood, and the coming judgment of God. You've seen the great unconformity that traverses the continents. You've seen the quartzite ripples from when it was a lake bed laying horizontally, now completely vertical, indicating a major, major catastrophe. You've seen the pudding stones or conglomerates indicating that there were massive mud flows that formed across the continent. Flows that were not formed over a long, gradual process as you know, modern secular scientists would be forced to say. They had to be formed quickly. Oh, but for you to take this hike up a perilous ridge to Devil's Doorway. As Tim said, we're here to give you a warning. You see, there are many people in this world, and this could include some of you, who are standing at the devil's spiritual doorway right now. 
The devil is in the process of deceiving the whole world as we speak. He's telling the world that the rocks that you're sitting on took millions of years to form. They are not the result of Noah's flood. He's deceiving people into rejecting the truths of God concerning their family, their marriage, and their future. And he's tempting them with sin that is, (laughs) oh, so fun, but only for a season. You see, if you were to walk through devil's doorway, your first step on the other side would be a doozy because there's a cliff on the other side. Oh, my friend, walking through the devil's doorway will result in your destruction. And I'm here to warn you that if if you walk through the devil's doorway and believe his lies, if you become a scoffer that fulfills the prophecy, if you say there's no creation, there's no flood as, as a judgment on mankind's sin, and then there's no judgment to come, and it gives you what you think is the freedom to live as you please, then your first step into eternity is going to be a doozy. I really am glad you guys are on this tour. We're going to end up meeting back at uh, at headquarters and debriefing, but uh, you guys have learned a lot of geology, haven't you? Yeah. And next, your job is to take that to the world. So all you got to do is figure out how to get down without dying, and we'll meet at... Uh, <laughs> We'll meet at HQ, okay? I'll see you there. There shall come in the last days scoffers. You have two distinct rock formations so close. How they got there, I don't know. They will be willingly ignorant. It's telling us that at one point in the Earth's history, they were all connected. Willingly ignorant of creation. It seems as though there really was a flood mm-hmm. that covered the entire globe. Okay. Where do we read about that? I don't know. They are willingly ignorant of the flood. In a place here, far from any sort of tectonic activity or plate boundaries, that's really fascinating. Is it a flood? I don't know. And they are willingly ignorant of the coming judgment of God. I was in church my entire life. My dad is a theologian with a master's degree working on his PhD. I have talked about the Bible ad nauseum. I don't think it could be evidence for a flood. So that is my reality. I want to thank you guys so much for going on this journey with us to learn about the reality of geology proving a global flood. In today's world, they would say the idea of a global flood was disproved over a hundred years ago, according to geologists, and to try to bring it back up and resurrect this idea of this mythical flood is absurd. But you've gotten to see evidence in the middle of Wisconsin for a global flood. I want you to tell me real quick some of the things that you've learned that have helped you understand what might have happened in this area that gives evidence for a global flood. Who's going first? Well, the main thing was that, I think it was the Sock Mega Sequence that goes, Dr. Austin saw it all over the continent, not all over the world. You can't lay that down with a local flood. That's gotta be a worldwide flood. Yeah, so we learned that uh, these bottom lake beds are now vertical, so there was a massive, massive force that pushed them upright. Very good. Brian, what else? Well, I learned that the, we learned that the ripples that are shown in the rock that are solidified in the rock were created when the rock was stable, was level, and the waters were going over it. And uh, yeah, it froze like, it, it kept it like that. And The rock itself still, still holds the ripple marks right. from being uh, underwater at one point. Very good. What else? You had the vertical uh, quartzite and you had sandstone laid down on top of it, which was indicative of that being laid down by water afterwards. We also had the large boulders that were moved by water. We've got these massive boulders that have been moved by water and these boulders are so big, the amount of water necessary to transport them would be huge. Yeah, yeah, catastrophic size, yeah. No local flood moving those boulders. What else? So as we looked at Parfreeze Glen and just seeing that that pudding rock uh, that was there and just seeing how there was larger pieces 
uh, cobblestones or your boulders up higher and knowing that that couldn't have happened just slowly. It had to happen fast for it to freeze those spots to where you got the small pieces and the bigger pieces up higher rather than it being the opposite way. All that ice coming down right to the Baraboo uh, structure there, going around it. This is on a massive, massive scale. This is not small scale. This is this is big scale happening. Did you guys? Do you guys uh, remember what's even necessary to get that ice to get an ice age? What what, what do we have to have to have that? We have to have warm oceans. We have to have a global flood, which creates warm oceans. Lots of evaporation, cold, cold land where it's snowing down and it's not, it's not uh, melting off very quickly. The flood is actually the answer for the ice age. No other model gives us a great ice age uh, that, that can develop other than the flood model. Well, now it's your turn to take this information that you've learned out there to the world. It's your turn to get out there and share this truth with others. So whether it's a Sunday school class or your friends one-on-one, -on -one, I need you to get out there and make this information known to the world. And more than just you, we also need you. Would you help us get this information out to the world? Thank you.